Good, good, good. And the good news is, I like to see a nice, a nice brass plate like this here. Oh, I know. Vendome Copper and Brassworks, Louisville, Kentucky, three chamber still, Leo Brothers, uh, Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City. And mm. the man is waiting in the wings himself. Here he is. He's coming in. He's getting the countdown. And he joins us now live from Denver, Colorado. It's Todd. Uh, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be on. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Good. Fabulous to have you. Todd, the reason uh, the reason we got in touch was I read the story about your your still. Uh, your triple your three chamber still. Now we'll not, we'll get to that in a wee minute because that's a bit more of a technical thing. So give us a little bit about Leopold Brothers and where you are and how you got to where you are. Uh, well, this is our uh, 21st year in business. Uh, we got started as a brewery. I went to brewing school in Germany many years ago and start open up a pub with my brother, uh, making uh, wildly popular unfiltered lagers in the late 90s. And yes, that's a joke. Uh, didn't go over too well, but <laughs> stubborn younger brother. Um, so we, we kind of held to that. Uh, we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where the University of Michigan is, and there's an enormous American football stadium down the road that holds an ungodly amount of people in it. And back in the 90s, the, the, the way that the licensing worked in Michigan is we have very squirrely laws in America with each state when it comes to alcohol. We could only sell what we made, and we had a huge place that you could fit three, 400 people in, at big long picnic tables it was designed you know in america i'm sure you guys have been here more than a few times people don't tend to talk too much i've never understood american drinking culture they go out and then they just talk. they don't talk to anybody else so one of the things i loved about uh drinking in europe uh people talk people mix a little bit more so we put in these long picnic tables so what wound up happening is we were uh, attracting big groups of 20 or 30 people. And when you had groups of that many in the, in the 90s in America, um, they, they didn't like it because they wanted alcohol. They wanted whiskey, vodka, gin, whatever the heck it was. So they'd come in, have a pint and bail, uh, which is a bad business plan. So we had to do something, <laughs> had to do something about it. It sounds like you were trying to do a beer hall setup there, Todd. Yes. I, I, you know how it is. I was in my 20s and full of foolish ideas that didn't quite work out. Um, and uh, so I went to distilling school in Kentucky and then I went to work overseas in, uh, over overseas, uh, Germany and uh, Austria, uh, making Eau de Vie, um, you know, Kirsch, that kind of thing. Right. And then came back and uh, we were kind of one of the first distillery pubs in the country. So I made everything on the back bar, vodka, gin, um, you know, liqueur is everything that you would need for mixed drinks. Long story short, uh, right before the real estate bubble, somebody bought our very beautiful building, kicked us out. We came back to Colorado, which is uh, Scott and I's uh, hometown, home state. And we opened up a distillery. At the time, our biggest customers, so this was 2008, um, for our distilled spirits were London uh, and San Francisco, because there really weren't any pubs or bars or people that were serious about spirits back then really anywhere in america um so those were our two big markets 
we've gotten some lovely uh, notes over the years from some uh, Brit British gin makers saying we were an inspiration for them. And we're like, well, that's great, but we'd like to trade it for our sales back because at the time there weren't any <laughs> gin distilleries in London. And now there's, I think, roughly 40 or 50,000. Um, yeah. uh, roughly. <laughs> Not quite that <laughs> It sure feels like it. But anyway, um, we, we uh, moved into this existing the building that's behind me that I'm sitting in uh, seven years ago, I guess now. And we installed floor malting. So my brewing diplomas, uh, half of the course is back then. That's how old I am. I have to say back then now. Um, half of the course was in malting. And so I had all this uh, malting experience and, and nowhere to put it. So I begged my brother to let us uh, uh, put in floor maltings here. So we did that. You know, we just expanded, uh, expanded that um, to a bit bigger. So we started out with something you mentioned, Springbank. Um, I actually went out there for a few days uh, just to have a look at their sizing. We use horizontal steeps the same way that Springbank does. And it's just as dumb of an idea here as it is there, by the way. Um, you like burning so, money. I think you like you, you, you yes. too much money. You just like you throw it around you, do you? That's what my brother tells me, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're a little bit lucky here in Colorado because of Coors Brewery is here and Coors has been malting their own barley for a little over a hundred years. Uh, so as a, as a result of that, we have world-class farming. So really all I have to do is not screw up the barley. We have really beautiful two-row barley here that malts beautifully. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of, of you know steering on that road and making sure you don't mess it up. Um, and that, that's what we do here now. So we have a, we have a doig kiln, um, you know, a steep, like you'd see at Balveni. So it's cylinder conical teep. You empty it from the bottom with, uh, with your cart, you pitch the floor. We do 10,000 kilos of charge. Um, and, and we've been running that for, for a few years now, by the way, never commission a malt house during a pandemic. The expansion <laughs> was, was not a whole lot of fun. Um, I, think, got, I think you guys don't mind throwing money about and also like these keep fit you know is that, is that a thing? Yeah. you know oh it's it, yes very much so it's um i'm a uh, i'm described as a bit of a bear i'm a very big <laughs> guy um and th this certainly doesn't make me any smaller so we traded the early days of me throwing full kegs of beer around to, to throwing a uh, malt around um I've got a dog that I need to go lie down here. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no. We, we love dogs and cats. Dogs okay. are all right. Because it becomes an internet sensation if it jumps up <laughs> and it pees on you or something like that there, you know? I want to get Justin a dog so it can go up. That's a possibility. <laughs> she's still a puppy and she's still uh, working it all out. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but we take a lot of pride in it. And yeah. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun and it gives me a, another thing to, uh, you know, make our whiskey a bit different. We can get the malt exactly the way that I want it. And, you know, the, the, you know, brewers malts that are out there are lovely, but they're not necessarily designed for whiskey. And so for me, we're, we have quite a bit of, of fun, uh, making whiskey malt here. Will you please lie down for me? No. <laughs> the, the hilarious, she's been sitting here as quiet as could be for the last two hours. The instant we go on air, she needs attention immediately. It's, it's maybe taking, taking cues from, from Biden's dog biting people. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. No biting yet, but she just Justin, needs a bit of attention here. Don't, don't cause another international incident. <laughs> the one about the Germans we mentioned earlier on. Don't do <laughs> Nick saying that. 
Um, yeah, so I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. The reason it came on, you you've you've you're you're a a, a, whisk, a proper whiskey nerd, right? You 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 yeah. I've seen an interview with you where you say you used to sit of an evening reading over old sort of papers about whiskey mashes and you know whiskey <laughs> literature that's probably the only way i can describe this and then you happened upon uh, a three-chambered still yeah right it's been it, it's been you know it, it's the the history i don't have to tell you gentlemen this the history of whiskey production is is fascinating, you know, so you can, if you're, if you're willing to dig, you can come across, you know, testimony, you mentioned powers from Mr. Powers, yeah. you know, all those years ago about, uh, you know, Irish whiskey production. And, and, you know, we've had, uh, you know, we, we've put uh, what I would call Irish style because it's certainly not Irish, obviously. Um, but, you know, we, we look to add malted oats. We've done some malted oats here and it's, you know, kind of chasing after, you know, a, a lot of these techniques and styles and flavors that were abandoned um, for one reason or another, whether it, it fell out of uh, a favor for, you know, the profile or just money or whatever it is. And as I got into it, the big one that I came across is, is uh, on your screen right now, and that's a three chamber still. And um, there's a paper that the uh, IRS, uh, there are uh, uh, tax authority over here, um, never say that the taxing authorities never do anything for you because what they did was they came through in the late 1800s right after they passed the Bottled and Bond Act and they did a survey of 33 distilleries in America and broke everything down from, you know, the grain bill, how much corn, how much rye, how much uh, malt if they were making a bourbon, you know, the size of the still was the warehouse heated. And they took a sample and did what we would call today, you know, gas chrom chromatography. Yeah. They looked at the whiskey at new make and then every, uh, once a year for eight years and looked at everything from, you know, esters to aldehydes to. Yeah. So it was really kind of a blueprint for, for how whiskey was made in America uh, in the late 1800s. And what I found was uh, there were th they did 31 distilleries, about half of them made rye. All of the rye distillers, except for one, use what they call the three chamber still. And I came across that that document 15 years ago. And uh, you and everybody else, I want to know, well, what the hell is a three chamber still? I'd never heard of it before. And started doing some research and came across some of the drawings that, that you see here. So the, the, the current um, larger distilleries in America are all using column stills. Yeah. Right. So I don't have to explain, I'm sure, to, to your listeners and viewers that, uh, you know, with grain whiskey, the same basic column, uh, general idea behind it. Well, the beer strippers is what they're usually called the parlance we use here. Uh, the beer strippers that are used to make bourbon or rye whiskey here, the design parameter from entry to exit is 90 seconds. So yeah. it enters fermented mash out of the beer well. Um, cascades down uh, the, the plates and exits as animal feed. The design uh, parameter is uh, in and out in 90 seconds. Well, the three chambers still, by the time you're done, you're getting mash in there for a total of 90 minutes. Wow. So not only is the, is, is the time to extract the flavors out of the rye and the malted barley much longer, uh, as you can see there with that drawing, it's actually quite lovely. So you can see those three chambers there 
And you can picture each one of the chambers holds mash in it. And the mash, depending on how the, the still is designed, can have about four feet of mash in it. So understand what that means from where the steam entrance is at the very bottom. You, you've got you know, 10, 12 yeah. feet of rye mash on it. Well, what's that gonna do? That's gonna create quite a bit of back pressure. That's gonna up the temperature in that bottom chamber, uh, really no, all the way north of 220 degrees F. And I, I'm embarrassed, I should have been prepared to give that in C and I, I, I dropped the ball, I'm sorry. It's all right, um, I, I, I've done it for you. It's 104 degrees centigrade. Oh, thank you. My apologies for not doing that. I should have come prepared. Um, but, but uh, you know, the, the, the columns in America are usually running around 198. So it's a full 20, uh, 20 plus degrees higher. And then you add in the amount of time. And by the time the whiskey is in that bottom chamber, uh, it's really almost just rye water. So you've got all of these things that are, that are normally kind of held back in, in the mash, held back in the water. Um, oils essentially are going to come out to beat the band. And I was explaining before we started that if you look at the hydrometer cup where this, you know, the spirit safe uh, in the hydrometer rests, uh, we've got a nice flat cylinder that's in there. You, you'll get a centimeter and a half meniscus even at 70% alcohol. And obviously at 70% alcohol, the surface tension is usually next to nothing, right? Yeah. But there's so much oil that's coming out together with that, uh, with, with the distillate that's coming off. It's just remarkable. So not only is the mouth feel, it's just clinging and, and um, just lasts forever. Those oils are pulling a lot of, you know, top notes that you normally wouldn't get out of whiskey of rose and chamomile and elderflower. And it, it's just unbelievably fragrant. I've got two questions for you, Todd, Marty, if, if I may. You, you mentioned their styles, and, and this struck me. I mean, I understand people like Hard Truth wanted to, to do an Irish style, but you're actually copying other American styles here because it says Maryland-style rye whiskey. What's all that about? What's the difference between a, an American Denver whiskey and a Maryland-style whiskey? Well, this was basically me. Uh, this is having a bit of fun. Um, there, the, a lot of the distilleries in America before prohibition, um, and just after world war II, they started closing down the rye whiskey producers were generally, the bulk of them were in Pennsylvania and Maryland. The Maryland distilleries tended to make a whiskey that had more emphasis on fruit and less em emphasis on the spice. Um, and the, and it was vice versa for the Pennsylvania distilleries. And at the time I came out with the Maryland style rye, when we got our license, we were the 35th licensed distillery in America. There weren't any distilleries in Maryland making whiskey anymore. So I thought, well, this is horrible to see this uh, style go to pieces. And so I, I, uh, did my research and got my hand. It was a little bit easier back in those days to get dusties, to get, um, you know, leftover vintage spirits. Mm -hmm. And and once some of the historians like Michael Veach and Charles Cowdery and some of the other American whiskey historians knew that I was looking into this, I started getting samples. And it just, the, the flavors that I got out of uh, Baltimore Pure Distillery in particular were kind of jammy and kind of, um, you know, strawberry raspberry notes, which to me is a, a chemical called isobutyl acetate. I know how to emphasize that uh so i chased after that and made the maryland do you want to get that rock. phone because the, the ansa is telling you you're on the internet <laughs> <laughs> I, I think as a federal distillery the government's already has its eye on us. <laughs> my apologies to 
that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, we've had we've had our tasting room closed for the last uh, year plus um, yeah. from from COVID. So yeah. I'm not even used to that thing uh, th thing ring, ringing. But it was an homage to a Maryland Maryland style. It, it, you know, it's a bit like saying a you know a British pale ale. Are they all the same? No, but you. you, you you have some certain things that you're that, that you're looking on. It was having me having a bit of fun and trying to help the American consumer uh, was the idea behind it. Again, me being young and stupid and not understanding, I don't have a marketing department to tr to try and um, get, give it somewhere to live on the back bar. So you, you, you hear people talk about uh, high rye bourbon, for instance, right? That has elevated amounts, and some people prefer that, and some people prefer less. It was really just an eye towards that. And, and I never expected, honestly, Maryland distilleries to open again. Um, so now it seems a bit silly that a Colorado distiller makes a Maryland style whiskey, but what are you going to do? There you go. Listen, I know Maurice Keane, he wants to ask you loads oh, of loads, questions. Loads but of I watched this video and I thought there's a couple of things in it that caught my attention. You seem to be ticking all the boxes. You're, you're, you're growing your own uh, grains and stuff like that, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, it, it was just trying to find things that, that we've been breeding the flavor out of our grains. Uh, you know, and of course, I know this from, um, you know, my studies in Germany. And of course, I have access to, you know, the UK's in Institute of Brewing and Distilling and some of the old papers. I'm a member, um, too. I'm a member, too, by the way. From that. Yeah, right. So if you look at the old papers, you're, you're seeing starch contents. Um, you know, with some of the papers from the 1800s where the starch content uh, was in the you know, high, high 60s and low 70s. And of course, now it's all the way up to the 80% the starch and north of that. And of course, well, what is, you know, so as a brewer, if you're trying to make a 5% beer or distiller, I guess, right? Doesn't matter. If you're trying yeah. to make a 5% beer and you've got, you know, your thousand gallon mash ton, you're not weighing out the, the grain, you're weighing out pounds of starch to make sure that you hit the, the alcohol content that you're looking for. And obviously if you've got something that's at 60%, um, 60 starch and something that's 80%, you're adding less of that 80% malt. So we're literally making our whiskeys and our beers less malty, less flavorful over the last hundred years, which is great if you're trying, if you're looking for yield and if you're looking to feed the world, that's a beautiful goal. But yeah. if you're look, looking for flavor, we've been breeding the flavor out of our grains. And so, <laughs> You know, once once you get an idea on that, then I start looking for, okay, well, what were the grains that they were using back in those days? In Shackleton's days, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Shackleton textbook. And, you know, people yeah. will talk about Maris Otter and, and uh, um, oh, this will be a fun one for you guys. I actually went down the Maris road. So Maris Otter um, w w was from the, the uh, uh, research facility was on Maris Street. So it wasn't just Maris Otter. They bred Maris Puma. Maris Badger, which I think is hilarious, um, and, and uh, they were trying to breed these these more flavorful varieties in the 1960s. I believe his name was Dr. Bell that did that research, and eventually, you know, the the approved malting bar uh, barley varieties, the Maris Otter got kicked off, and they started looking for better yield and better for farmers. Which again, that's not a bad thing. Um, but we're starting to move a little bit away, in my opinion, uh, for flavor. So for the, for the uh, three-chamber rye that we mentioned, the variety of rye that we settled on is called the Bruzzi rye, and it's Italian, so I'm butchering the pronunciation, and I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Don't worry more. about it. You want to hear yeah. Justin speak in German? <laughs> <laughs> I need a 
I need a couple drinks to try that. But um, so uh, the rest of the modern rye that are grown in Colorado, we're, we're very much a grain state. Again, it's 82, 83% starch. Uh, and, the, and the Abruzzi rye came back at, at 62. So once I saw that, I did some more research. It has higher oil content than normal. And as I touched on, the three chambers still is really designed to, to extract oils. So that's what we decided to plant. It also has elevated levels of a compound called ferulic acid. And I made uh, German Hefeweizen for years. And the way that you're trained to get that spicy note that's in a Hefeweizen, and all, the, it's the same spiciness that you get in a, in a rye whiskey or in a bourbon, is to control the amount of ferulic acid that you get in that mash ton. There's a few ways you can do that. Um, one, you can add more wheat. We're talking Hefeweizen here. You can add more wheat and make sure the varieties that you're using has a lot of ferulic acid in it. Um, and the other component that you need is a Hefeweizen yeast strain, or uh, the brewers call it a POF positive, which means phenolic off flavor, because in America, having spice in a beer is terrifying, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you know, American lager beer, making fun of that, I guess, a bit there. But anyway, um, the, the M strain and the MX strain that's so popular over in Scotland, as well as the Red Star and a few of the other strains, these are all POF positive yeasts. So as long as you're adding ferulic acid in your mash, you're going to wind up with a spicy whiskey. And a lot of people yeah. think that rye whiskey, the spiciness comes from the rye. It doesn't. It comes from ferulic acid. Uh, I can never get this right. And together with a yeast strain that can metabolize that. If you take one out or the other, you won't get the spicy note. Uh, and so the Abruzzi rye has elevated levels of ferulic acid is what I was trying to get at there. Maury, I better let you ask some questions, but we've been at, there's a couple coming in from the viewers here. Uh, Mark Kerr's loving all this knowledge. Uh, yep. Todd, uh, Keith McCann is so freaking curious now. And the question <laughs> on everybody's lips is, is the new make overly tailsy? Do you have to age it out longer? No. Um, that's a, boy, that's a, that's a, in here. That's an excellent question. It could be perceived as tailsy. So in other words, if I was tasting this as it came off of a, of a double pot distillation, I might make the mistake of believing that it's tailsy, but the cuts are actually quite, quite high, um, relatively speaking. And the, the answer to that question is no. It's a different, there's a young lady, a, a scientist out here who tasted it, who said that the rye coming out of the three chamber is a different modality it's the flavors are so different and the way that they appear on the palate are so different than you get from a column or a pot that you could make the mistake of thinking you're tasting tails when you're not and i just had to trust what it was i was tasting and it is it is not tailsy but you are getting uh, lavender flavors and, and floral notes really in the finish, which normally if you were making a bourbon or a uh, pot so right, it would be the other way around. So it's sort of backwards a little bit, but it's because of what I mentioned with the oil extraction. It's pulling different amounts uh, out of it that you can smell and taste that you ordinarily wouldn't get out of any other distillate. So in my opinion, no. Um, it's garbage after two years, I can tell you that. 
<laughs> um, so I so I guess it can kind. Of, it's a car crash. It takes time. So it depends on what's your de definition, Christian. That's just such a wonderful question. To me, it was it 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 was harmonious after the fourth uh, summer, and the the what we're bottling is going to be just about five years old, and. and Hopefully you can judge for yourself. Um, uh, we're working like the Dickens and, and uh, trying to make sure that we get distribution back in the, the UK again, um, because I love your countries and very much want to visit and share it with people like oh. you who care about such things. So. Well, you've been, you've been, totally, you've been absolutely more than welcome to come over here anytime. Now, I, I, I want to get the actual, the, the, the logistics of the, how, you, how the process works. Now, you have all the different plates in a in a column style, mm -hmm. which basically react and and they're pulling all. The, I mean, a column style basically strips the flavors out out of out of a, a your mash and mm -hmm. it pulls it out because it's done really quick and and pulls it out. Now, you, the way I see this chamber still working is it feeds down in as it feeds down in it's really being aggressively hit the what's left in chamber three the bottom chamber is really being aggressively hit it's at four bar it's being hit by over 100 degrees centigrade alcohol evaporates at, 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 or boils at, at 78 degrees so it's really being hit and you're pulling those oils out it goes into chamber two and as it goes up it, 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 obviously, the, the temperature's dropping down, the pressure's dropping down a bit, but it's pulling those oils up. So it's not going by reflux; it's going by a, a more a, a more simple chemistry in many ways. Very much so, and and um, it's very well put. Now, of course, reflux is occurring in all three chambers. An easy way to think of it is three different distillations occurring all at once and being pulled into one stream. The, the way I like to describe it, if you're, if you're ever bored, um, go to YouTube and, and look up uh, lavender oil extraction. And there, there's a, it's a distillation method to get lavender oil. It's the same thing you'd use to get ro rose oil. So you basically take a, a, just a regular Alembic pot still, you cram it full of flowers all the way up to the top, you put the head on and connect it to the condenser, and then you inject steam into it so again steam is the carrier just like it is for the three chambers still and it's going to because it's using higher temperatures it's going to pull things that are normally soluble in water out and you're going to get rose oil out the other end the lovely thing about that is you're going to get beautiful uh top notes that that are just unbelievably aromatic the bad thing about rose oil is that it's going to oxidize and go to I almost cursed. Um, go to crap. Don't worry about it. Justin does Don't, don't worry about it. Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg cancels this anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, it's going to go to shit quickly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to oxidize. It's not shelf stable. So picture that, that oil distillation and then putting on top of that in the vapor path somehow an alcohol distillation, right? So it's the difference. The, that, that's a water still or a steam still, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Or you could make a gin out of it use alcohol as a carrier, throw a bunch of rose petals into it, bring it to a boil. It, it's going to be shelf stable, but the aromas aren't going to have as much finesse. They're, they're not going to be what I would call room filling. What people get, um, we make absinthe as well and have for, for, for I guess, geez, 15 years now almost. 
Um, the the it, it's. I don't like that. Like. That's rocket fuel. That's killed yeah, many no, no, Irish no, in Paris. No, we we <laughs> um, we kind of laugh about it because I'm the only one uh, of the distillers who who likes it here, and I always just. When we're making it, I said, well, you can really taste the profits. Just focus on the money. and that you're, <laughs> you're getting paid to make this, even if it's not particular your cup of tea. Um, but so, so essentially, that's the way the three chamber still is working. So the bottom still, you're pulling the oils out. The middle still is halfway between the two. And then the top one, when you start that steam, it has the full 5% alcohol charge. And the, the other thing that, that's important, of course, is that, we, you know, we mash and ferment the way they were again back in the, the time that the Shackleton textbook came out. And Springbank, of course, still does that, right? They do a lower 6% alcohol uh, mash. That's going to make the stills behave entirely differently. So if I was to take the three-chamber still and, and we make a 5.5% alcohol mash, which is relatively low, right? If I tried to put it in at that higher alcohol concentration, it would change the temperatures in each one of the three chambers. It would change the flavors in the compounds that would come out. And the whiskey, in my opinion, wouldn't be half, half as tasty. So it's not very efficient what we're doing and the way that we're handling it, the same way that Springbank does. And if you haven't figured out, that's one of my favorite distilleries in the world. It's everybody's uh, favorite. One of everybody's favorite oh, distilleries. I didn't know that. If, if they know anything about whiskey, they know Springbank's just like... I, uh, I, did, I didn't know that. I... I I did the first time I walked on the malting floors, it was all I could do not to start crying. I mean, just the, uh, you know, what, what they, yeah, everything. You, you, where do you even start with Springbank? You'd be talking they, eight of these shows, I think. They, they have one of those conveyor belts. They have one conveyor belt and it goes like that speed. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, is that, do you really need that, guys? Because you could literally just lift it over. <laughs> you know, it's like that speed. It's, it's honestly, Justin, you have to see this. It's just the most, the most, Modern thing, and it's the light bulbs. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's nothing else. Yeah. Their computers is a piece of paper that they write on. It's a, it's just an amazing place. Amazing it's a, it, it's very much their kind. Of, they're my heroes. Uh, is the way that I would they, they would I would look at it as what we're trying to do here, um, and of course. Um, we got a ways to go. We're only 21 years in, and, and we've got some work to do before we can do that. But, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm rambling. I'm talking too no, much, and no, I need no, to answer the questions. Listen. listen, everybody's fascinated by this. Honestly, the, the, I, the, if they're not, then they're not really in the right show. Justin, you have a picture there. Could you pull up that picture just one second? Just there? Yes, but because we've, we've other questions coming in there. Uh, uh, and also want to remind everybody to comment, like, and share to tell their yeah. friends as well. Look at that close up there. Now, you have column stills. You've, you, you obviously have pot stills as well. Yeah. And do do they? How do you mix these all across the, the the range of products that you do? And and I mean, this it just seems you've lots of options here. You know, a huge yes. range of options. Well, this is what happens when you let let the uh, distiller. Uh, own the business, I guess. So I get to pick, pick the, I'm very unusual in the, in the sense that most of the, the distillers that come in, um, you know, that will start up a distillery, they might run a still for a year or two, and then they're off doing sales. And I just, and that's great, good for them, but um, I don't enjoy that. I, I got into this because I enjoy making things. And uh, so the, the, I'm the late shift here. So I'm running the three chambers still every day until, 
you know, six to eight o'clock. You got it. So what you're seeing there, so the, the stills that are on the far left, those are modified O to V stills. So an O to V still, the way I would describe them that you would see typically in a, uh, you know, a, a farm distillery in Austria and Germany, some of them that I worked at, usually they're limited to three plates. They, they're trying to make sure you're not going to make high proof vodka. They want you to make Kirschwasser that you can sell to other distilleries. That's still a thing um, over in uh, Germany and Austria, actually, uh, where you can sell to the larger distilleries and get some money uh, in, in your pocket uh, instead of letting your crops go to, I'll say it again, shit, right? <laughs> um, so it's an e easy way to turn it into money. So those are what, what I would call our spirit stills that's designed for gin production. We make several different gins. Um, one of the things that we do with our gins that's very different, and I'll just speak on it briefly because you'll probably want to throw things that I'm talking about gin, but um, we, we distill each one of the botanicals separately um, and, and blend them together later. And, and so that's what we use those stills for. It's just much more of a finesse still. The Alembics are the four to the right. So the three copper ones are what we use to make the Maryland rye or our bourbon and the one on the far right. Um, that, that's what we use to produce the base for our vodka before it's distilled again in a 52 plate column. So those are just basically what we had before we got a hold of the, of the three chambers still. So if that would pan to the right, you'd see our three chambers still on the floor. Unfortunately, the internet isn't that good yet. So it can't <laughs> pan to the right. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll work. We've all got our vaccines now. So Bill Gates might give us an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want a, a piece of the divorce settlement. That's all I want. I'll have the yacht. That would be fine. Um, <laughs> Is Melinda free? Is Melinda free? Why does the flavor die off over time? Uh, Transterfication. Oxidation. Oxidation. So we're again we're we're talking about the rose, just the rose oil that I talked about. The three chamber still doesn't die off. And the reason is you know, the, the water distillation is that bottom chamber. And then the middle, it's, it's mingling in vapor form together with the alcohol. It's just shelf stable as any other whiskey that's on the market. And I apologize for making that a bit confusing. The oxidation and making the flavors fade was only as I was talking about the, the a rose oil still. Right. Okay. Good, good, yeah. good. Now, we, we can't stay on all night, uh, but I uh, we could. I don't mind. Um, how do you store your whiskey? How 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 after it's brought out? How do you keep it? Um, warehousing it, casks, cask finishing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There you go. That's a good picture. So Dunnage style. So again, kind of an homage to uh, um, Springbank and so many other beautiful distilleries like that, but for a different reason. I, I didn't do it just because they do it. That that doesn't make any sense. In Colorado is very, very dry. So we will have uh, humidity in the single digits. And so a lot of the distilleries in, in, the, in this area, Texas and some of the other, other states that are very dry, what they like to do, they, they tend to go inside of a, 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 just a normal warehouse building with, with concrete floors and they'll humidify. They'll add water in the air because if you don't, the angel share can be anywhere from 15, I've heard 20%. Um, what we did instead is, so first of all, our entry proof is um, quite low. We're in at 50% ABV. Uh, back to that IRS document that I mentioned uh, in, in the 1800s, yeah. every single one of those distilleries 
what, what was in the casket at 50 or 50 uh, percent and the, a, a couple exceptions that were as high as 50.5 so that that's the way that they were doing it before of course what happened um, the, these distilleries the maryland distilleries the pennsylvania distilleries started shutting down and so in the 1960s they petition petition to allow them to go all the way up to 62.5 which is where it is now but 50 percent was the american standard and it changed to save money Obviously, if you're putting it in at 62%, you need fewer barrels and fewer rickhouses, and you're talking yeah. millions of dollars with a large distiller. So we put it in at 50%. I think it makes a much softer whiskey. We've got earthen floors to slow down that evaporation rate. So our angel share after the first year and cask entry going into a charred barrel, which, of course, absorbs the whiskey. But after that first year, it's about 4.1%. Um, the three chamber is in number four char. Um, the bourbon and the rye, the other rye that we make is in it in it three. I chose number four because the three chamber is such a big whiskey. It really needs something to kind of fight back a little bit. And I'm very happy with that choice. And, and this was a bit of a thing because when we started this project, um, you know, even though we're one of the older distilleries in America, nobody knows who the hell we are. Um, <laughs> and, and when, I mean, we're we're doing well. It's not like we're struggling to keep the lights on. It's a bit of a funny conundrum for us, but um, Fred, Freddie No came out uh, from the Jim Beam distillery and, and uh, to, to see these three chambers still uh, about two, three years, I don't remember, two years ago or something like that. And I went home that night and told my wife, oh, you never believe uh, Jim Beam's great, great grandson came out to take a look at the three chambers still. Everybody's watching this. And then of course, that night, trying to go to sleep, I'm like, oh, shit, everybody's watching us. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a bit of pressure that this is the first, you know, three chambers still whiskey to be released uh, in, in, as far as we can tell, five decades uh, at, I, at least. Yeah. And what's I, been fun is some of the uh, authors and writers have been doing side by sides with Old Overholt, which is a, a popular rye whiskey before prohibition from 1910 and they were they're they're seeing and smelling and tasting the same characteristic the same honeyed finish yeah the same roses and lavender in in the nose and so the reaction's been really good so it it doesn't look like I'm going to make too much of an ass out of myself when we release this in a few weeks I asked I asked a, a, a guy who's studying for a PhD uh in basically in Irish mash bells I mean, I mean that the guy's a proper, proper guy, and I, I asked him, was there ever any triple chamber distills in in Ireland? And he he said, I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> no, no, and yeah. and it, it, it's a, just a totally new thing to 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 ask guys. Um, but uh, I, now you do a range of flavored whiskies as well. Mm -hmm. Um. How, how are those going for you? Well, that started as, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, understand us being a smaller distiller and, and making these things back in 2001. And what it was, was us making a brand called Southern Comfort. Um, Southern Comfort now is uh, grain neutral spirits and flavorings and, you know, whatever else. Yeah. It, it started a, a, as uh, just a, a, a a way to flavor whiskey that that people made off of their stills at home 
so the whiskey's crap, right? So we got to do something to make it drinkable. So we'll add some sugar and whatever the hell we have on hand. And in South Carolina and Georgia, that means peaches. So it used to be peach. It used to be peach juice, bourbon, and sugar, right? Oh, and so I made, I made that for one uh, very well-known uh, chef in Atlanta, um, just for the hell of it. And then it did well, and now here we are. I'm. I'm <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm still making this stuff, but it, what it is, is it's our, it's our bourbon together with peach juice and we put it in uh, X bourbon barrels and two things happen. The, the whiskey will mature, but at the same time, the fruit oxidizes the same way you will with sherry or port or any of those kinds of things. And, and if you're into dessert wines and that kind of thing, it, it, it's really lovely. The problem that we run into, of course, is when the, the U.S. government doesn't really give me too many places to go because flavored whiskey sounds like I'm adding chemicals and mercury and, you know, whatever the hell else <laughs> to do. But, and what it really is is a, is a whiskey liqueur. But, you know, the, the, the proof on all of them except for that one is a little bit higher. But I'm, I was just trying to make a real Southern comfort, something that was made in America yeah. for, for years and years and years. And, you know, some of the whiskey connoisseurs don't necessarily understand it. And we came out with it again before Red Stag, before you mentioned Crown, Crown Royal Peach, which is um, killing us in the, in, the, in the market, right? Exactly. Just sailing it's, through. It's something that we really enjoy making. And it's a fun partnership with a lot of our brewers. There's a brewer up the road called New Belgium that makes a fairly well-known beer called Fat Tire. And they finish their sour beers on our ex peach whiskey and cherry whiskey casks. So it, it's a lot of fun. If yes. you're if you're into scotch and you're 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 into Irish whiskey and these sort of things, this may not be your cup of tea, um, or you might really like it. Who the hell knows? But I kind of, I've learned over the years to really really like it because um, some people can manage to take something very fun like whiskey and squeeze all the fun out of it. Uh, oh so yes. Listen, if, if you don't want peaches with your whiskey, that's cool. Fine. But you, don't catch okay. me. But don't make any cocktails, pal. If you're really that much of a. <laughs> Justin <laughs> likes his cocktails. Justin's a big cocktail man. Well, you know, I like to. I'd like to point out. I mean, you know, um, you know, Sherry's flavoring that whiskey. Yeah. It's just a matter of what you're share, what you're flavoring it with, and how much. The departure here, that's not a, a, an entirely fair comparison because, of mm. course, we're adding a bit of sugar to this. But it's the it's same as everything else. Yeah. It's the same as everyone else. If you want to take uh, whiskey and soda, if you want to take whiskey and ginger, if you want to take whiskey and ice, or you want to take, it's entirely up to you. You've paid for it. You've bought it. Do what you want with it. And We've don't get had, me wrong. Yeah. I can I, turn I, around and say, I can turn around and go, nah, nah, no, nah, 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 nah. That's my opinion. Absolutely. I had a woman in her in her 70s who came for a tour and she said, well, you're I know you're not going to like to hear this. And I'm like, OK, what what you got? You never you never know what the hell people are going to say. And she said that I really love your your bourbon with Diet Coke. And of course, the whole table groaned and oh, this was some great offense. And I said, well, hold on. I said, do you like it? And she said, yes, I love it. And I said, then tell all of these people to make their own damn drink. I'm thrilled <laughs> exactly. that, that, that you enjoyed it. You need to relax exactly. a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody needs to relax an awful lot more. There's too much stress in the world. And thankfully, we have whiskey to sort this out. That's, right. That's right. Todd, 
Todd, listen, I honestly, I could listen to you all day. It's been fabulous talking to you. And we'll, we will, we'll, once you, once you get UK distribution, we'll get you back on again and we can have another chat again. We'd love uh, to, and I, I'll get uh, I'll get a couple a uh, couple bottles out in the in the mail and and see what you think. And I know, I know we're, we're working with David Broom to have some fun with him as well. He was nice enough too. I was at the World Whiskey Forum with him in Seattle, and and I'll be out your way. I just I love that part of the country, and I'll never forget the first time I I landed in Campbelltown, and and it was like something out of a cartoon. I have never seen that much green in my entire life. I couldn't believe. Of course, it was raining we, too. We, we painted all before whoa. you get here. We painted we painted all before whoa. you come here. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Campbelltown's just across. I can I can basically look across the water and see Campbelltown. Uh, I'm in Ireland, and we're known as the Emerald Isle because we're actually greener than over there. Even it's far green. nicer here. Far well, nicer here. You must, you must be giving steroids to your plants to make them even greener than that. But I mean, I, it was just, you know, it, it, obviously, as you can tell, I'm just such an enormous fan, but I very much would like to visit with y'all in person. And um, I, I think that we're, we're working to make that happen in the next year or so when finally everybody can travel again. And I think we're all sick of this and could yeah, use a couple yeah. of glasses of whiskey with some good people. But I, we got to tell you, uh, I, 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 I've been sitting fascinated listening to you and we will catch up again. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> I've enjoyed it more than you know. I, I want to ask you one more question. Oh, please. Surely somebody has copied this still. Surely somebody has copied it and has an, one in their backyard doing something themselves. Because if you commissioned this, uh, it's obviously can't be patented because it's 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 that no. old, no? no. So so why is everybody else not doing this? Because you you told us off her that the meniscus of the thing actually climbs up the glass, like it it wants yeah. to go down your throat. Yeah. Um, well, nobody knows how to run it. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the it's an awful risk. So that 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 photo that you that that you see there, we get about two barrels out of that. A day now, I guess you know that's 20 feet tall and a whole lot of copper. This was wow. not inexpensive. Yeah. And the con, the my, my hope was to rekindle this style. We're not like that, we're not uh, super secret squirrel. You know, I, I, I'm in my 50s now, I'm, I'm much more interested in what's going to go on when I'm not here anymore. So, we would love if other, other distillers would come on. The problem is, it, it, it's when I was talking with, with Freddie, no, we were laughing, looking at it, saying, picture what that would look like for this to even be a pilot still for Jim Beam. And it would have to be 20 feet in diameter, you know, and another <laughs> yeah. 10, 10 feet high. And even then, they wouldn't have anywhere close to enough to make it uh, so that this was, uh, this was a thing. So it, it, I don't think anybody else is going to do it. Some smaller distillers, are, you can do it, I guess, as, a, as well, it's illegal here, but I mean, they do it anyways obviously but you know, <laughs> we've seen moonshiners on discovery channel yeah <laughs> right exactly but i mean think about what how many you would need before you could even fill one single barrel so it's a very impractical still and i think my illusions that more people would do this i think it's i just don't think it's going to happen but if they do i guess they, they uh people will know who to call i guess they just <laughs> have to be they just have to be prepared to cut a very large check for one of my favorite charities. I'm not going to do it for nothing. <laughs> uh, we'll make sure a charity makes out on it somehow. 
told you. What a guest. What a guest. Fabulous, fabulous guy. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Honestly, it's been a real treat listening to you. Listen, listen I've been bragging. I'm sorry to cut you off one last time, but li I've been telling my my uh, six year old daughter. We've been showing, you know, showing her you know the the uk and where these different countries are and all of this thing and walking through and so this has been an awful lot of fun it was an absolute honor to speak with you so the pleasure was all mine thank you oh yes thank you very much thank somebody's you. asking is it live tonight of course it's live it's live, live. and even if it's as live the person who, who's contributing <laughs> watching i mean what do you want me to do two and two is four ask me a question james you know uh, today's newspaper or something right yeah yeah, yeah some, something like that you know uh, have you been kidnapped listen Kristen keel wants to build one for his place which what, what is your place christian do you work for ellen musk and then you want to build a lunar module that looks like it <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. fabulous That's... stuff. Thank you very much, Todd. Good night. Todd, take Thank care. You. Cheers.